Well, I had a dream last night. I didn't even tell you what the dream was. Nick Saban's going to Fayetteville. Well, we can all dream, right? Some dreams come true. All right, well, this morning we want to uh, take our Bibles, go to Second Peter in the first chapter. Second Peter chapter 1. And I want to begin by using an analogy of games. Like, for example, in a football game, for a team, you have on the field at one time 11 players for a team. Okay? We're not counting both teams. We're counting one team, right? So you have 11 players on a field at one time. Well, in basketball, you have five players on the court at one time. Okay? And for those of you who don't know, this, this is true. Okay? And then... Um, in terms of baseball, you have nine players on a field for a team at one time, okay? Now, if you go back and you think about football, well, there's only 11 that are participating for a team at one time, but there are numerous players on the sidelines, right? And one of the biggest challenges for the coach to keep, in, keep them engaged in the game Especially those guys who never see the field, but they're just one play away. Well, in basketball, same thing. You might have seven or eight players sitting on the bench, and you got five on the court, and they're very engaged. But there's seven of them there that are not as engaged because they're not on the court. Well, in baseball, you have nine, right? On the field, nine players. And there are nine guys that are going to go to that plate, all right? So there are nine players on the field. And those nine players are engaged in that game. And you have some that are in the dugout, and then you have some that are in the bullpen. But they're all part of the team. No matter whether you're talking about football, baseball, basketball, it doesn't matter. They're all part of the team. They're not all engaged in the game at the same time. But they're all part of that team. Well, guys, I got some good news for you. In Christianity, it's different. We're all in the game. There's nobody that gets to sit on the bench and just sit there. So you hadn't been called to do that. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been called to defend the truth. And in the section in first, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, that's exactly what Peter's doing. He's defending the doctrine of the second coming. And in doing so, he's telling, telling them, hey, look, you're all a part of this. All of you are in the game. Every single one of you have a responsibility to stay engaged and to defend the truth of Scripture. So, this comes from... 2 Peter chapter 3, verse, verses 3 and 4. There is this attack going on. And the attack concerns the second coming of Christ. And Peter writes, knowing this, first of all, 
that in the last days mockers will come with mocking, following after their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? And so the challenge is for all of these believers to not only stay engaged, but be able to defend the truth. Isn't that kind of intimidating when you think about it? That all of us have been called to do that? Right? It's not just one person's responsibility to defend the truth. But as Peter is going to write to this audience, all of them have that responsibility to defend the truth. And, and Peter defends the truth of the second coming. We've kind of talked about a little bit about that. As we've shared with you previous, the, uh, the story of, uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus Christ was transfigured. And so um, this all comes from that particular argument. Uh, Peter shares his experience, but it wasn't just his experience. It was James' experience and it was John's experience on that Mount of Transfiguration. They were, in essence, given uh, the newspaper for tomorrow, except they were given it that day. And that newspaper had everything to do with Christ coming in his glory, yet future. Can you imagine what that must have been like? So on that Mount of Transfiguration, Peter shares with his audience the experience that he had. Look at in chapter 1, um, verse 16. Look at this with me. Chapter 1, verse 16. He says, we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were what? We were eyewitnesses of his, what? Majesty. So in a very short phrase, he says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, of his glory. And then as we saw together um, from the gospels, Matthew says his face shone like the sun. Mark doesn't comment on his face. Luke says the appearance of his face became different. And then the clothing, Matthew says his garments became as white as light. And I focused on, I really love this statement. Mark says his garments became radiant and exceedingly white as no launder on earth can whiten them. And then Luke said his clothing became white and gleaming. And so that's what they saw. And notice um, how much ink is Peter gives to this, to what they saw. Notice what it says at the end of verse 16. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So about that much ink is given to what they saw. I want you to keep that in mind. Because he goes from what they saw to what they heard. Um, I like what John Walvard says about the transfiguration of Christ. And this is going to help us to stay um, on the right track. The transfiguration was designed to show the three apostles what Christ will be like in his glory. That was the purpose. Okay? To give them a foretaste of his kingdom. You know, there are a lot today that want to argue, well, the kingdom is now and it's in your heart. Well... That's not what the Bible teaches, okay? The Bible teaches that there is a literal kingdom that is coming. Revelation chapter 20 highlights that. For 1,000 years, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign on his throne. Well, you're not saying amen now. You will be. Amen. It's coming. It's it's coming not because I say so. It's coming because the scripture says, the Bible says, And so one day he's coming in all his glory. And I love that Revelation 19 passage because we're coming with him. If you're in the church, you're coming with him. And if you've never been able to ride a horse, you will be able to. And you're coming. 
And the Bible says that we're going to rule and reign with him. I can't even imagine that for a thousand years. And so Peter and James and John, man, they got this, this visual on that mountain. So we talked about that, what they saw. And this morning we move, we move on to what they heard. What did they hear? Well, notice what Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. He says, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now guys, there's three things going on here. One of them you can't see in that text. If you go back to the story of the mount, on the mountain of transfiguration, Jesus, after the, the disciples see him in his glory, the Bible says that Peter wants to stay. He wants to pitch a tent. In fact, he wants to pitch three tents. Do you know that? The Bible says it. It's interesting to me that, right, you have this scene and they see Christ in his glory as he will be. And Peter's like, hey, Let's stay a while. Do you know a lot of theologians give him a bad time about that? There's a lot written about that. And I look at it and I go, well, he didn't say to James and John, hey, let's get out of here. This isn't the greatest thing. That's not what he does. In fact, you know what he does? I want you to take your Bibles and go back to Matthew 17. I want to show you this. Matthew 17. Look at what takes place there on the mountain of transfiguration. Verse 4 of Matthew 17. So they see him transfigured. Verse 4 says, And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. <laughs> right? What else do you want him to say? It's good for us to be here. Absolutely. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles. Um, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. So if you read any commentary on this, you know there are a lot of theologians that are going to say, well, Peter didn't understand what was going on, and so he, um, he wants to stay a while, and he wants to ha pitch these three tents, one for, for Christ, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah, right? And, and so he's not separating Christ from the other two. Okay, I get that. I get the fact that maybe he doesn't at that moment understand exactly what's going on. I get all that. But I also get the fact that Peter acknowledges Christ and his glory. He wants to stay. And it's interesting to me that the father doesn't focus on Peter's response. <laughs> There's not a focus on Peter's response. There's a focus, right, on Jesus Christ. And that's where the focus needed to be. And so maybe Peter was taken away from the focus, but the father, in fact, interrupts Peter. Notice verse 5. Notice what that first phrase says. While he was still what? Speaking. While he's still talking. Now, right, we know Peter has a tendency to put his foot in his mouth. But I look at this text and I go, man, this guy's just responding to the glory of the Lord. And maybe he's not getting it all right. But he's getting that part right. 
Do you know, guys, when we see the Lord in his glory, you know what we're going to want to do? Stay. We're going to want to stay, right? So while Peter doesn't distinguish maybe between the three, it is true that the father here just interrupts him. And he says, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Well, that phrase ought to look familiar to you. Not only because it's mentioned here, but you know where else it's mentioned? It's mentioned at the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And so Peter, in writing to these believers, he says, this is the utterance that was made. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. A couple of thoughts here about what was communicated by the father. First of all, the father affirmed the deity of the Lord. This is my beloved son, right? Why? Because Jesus is what? He's fully man, fully God. You know, one of the greatest battles the church is fighting today, by the way, if you're not in, you're on the team, right, if you're in Christ, but if you're not engaged in the battle, um, you need to understand there is a war going on out there, right? Because there are a lot of people out there that say, oh, Jesus is just a man. He was just a man in history, da, da, da. Mm. What about those statements where Jesus says, I and the Father are one, right? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What's he saying? He's God, right? He's God. So the Father on that mountain affirms the deity of the Lord Jesus. But also the Father pronounces delight in him. Do you know that word well-pleased means delight or satisfaction? I really like that meaning. So he says on that mountain, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So the father on that mountain affirms the deity of his son and pronounces delight in his son or satisfaction in his son. And I'm thinking, wow, that's great. And then I started thinking through, well, how is that working out with me? Right? That's the father's view of his son. What's our view of the son? Is there delight? Is there satisfaction? Do we find complete satisfaction in the Lord himself? You know, as I've gotten older, I've come to realize that that's exactly what the Lord wants us to find. He wants us to find complete satisfaction in him and him alone. Just like the father found satisfaction in his son, delight in his son. As a believer, I need to find complete delight in my Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, there are a lot of things on this earth that satisfy, right? But you know what I've found as I've gotten older? The things that people say satisfy, satisfy for a time. You ever notice that about satisfaction? All of us with gray hair, we understand that, right? Man, I remember when I was younger and I'm thinking, man, I'm going to find satisfaction in this and I'm going to find satisfaction in that. And when I get married, I'm going to find complete satisfaction in that. When I have kids, I'm going to find satisfaction in that. And I love my wife and I love my kids. And I love my grandkids. But I don't find complete satisfaction in them. I was built to have complete satisfaction with one person and that is Jesus Christ. You say, Thad, you're full of baloney. No, I'm not. 
our complete satisfaction is to be in Christ and Christ alone. You say, well, you don't find satisfaction in your wife? Absolutely I do. I love being with my wife. I love being with my children. I love being with my grandchildren. I got three little rugrat grandchildren. And man, they are wild. And they go all over the place. And the youngest one is just finding out that she has a tongue and that she can speak. And she's trying to say things, right? And it's fun to watch those kids. And and I find satisfaction. But my greatest satisfaction in this life is Jesus Christ. And guys, you know what that does? When you find the greatest satisfaction in Christ, you're going to see your kids and your, and, 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 and your wife and your husband. You're going to see them all like they need to be seen. Well, on that mountain, that's what they heard. And that's what's communicated. Isn't it interesting that a little bit of ink is given to what they saw? A little more ink is given to what they heard. And do you know that there is the rest of the story as it relates to that Mount of Transfiguration. And all three gospel writers say the same thing. Do you know, on that mountain, the father says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. But did you know there's a statement after that? How many of you knew that? Ah, just a few. Do you know what it says? At the end of that statement, the father says to Peter, James, and John, listen to him. Hear him. And I was like, man, Lord, that just like hit me right between the eyes. And while that message was for them, that message has been passed down to us. Hear him. Listen to him. I'm pretty stubborn. How about you? You stubborn? Any of you? Don't raise your hand. You might surprise your husband or wife, <laughs> all right? So, right, or your kids. Um, but man, I'm stubborn, and, and, and it ta- it's taken, I've been saved for, let's say, 53, about 46 years. And man, that road, that journey has been awesome. But there's been points in the journey where I've done this to the Lord. You ever done that? Right, and, and, and you're like, I got this, Lord, but we don't have it, do we? The greatest satisfaction, guys, is to not only understand who Christ is, but it's to listen to him. You say, Thad, how do I listen to him? Great question. His word. You want to know what the Lord wants you to do with your life? Listen to his word. And do you know what's so awesome is that the Lord Jesus told his disciples in John's gospel that he was going to give them another helper of the same kind. And it would be the Spirit of God that would lead them into all truth. You say, what, what's that? It's the Bible. When I was a, a child, I grew up in southwest Louisiana, and we did five-day clubs a lot. We worked with child My parents did, worked with Child Evangelism Fellowship. You remember that song, the B-I-B-L-E? Any of you want to sing it with me? Right? The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. You know, I'm thinking, man, that's a pretty simple song. 
but it's a pretty profound song, right? You see, Peter's argument was not only built around experience, but Peter's argument for these guys is built around the word. And that's what we want to get to next. You're saying, Thad, you're just starting. Well, no, no. Not all that was review, right? Uh, The hearing part wasn't. So you come to verses 19 through 21 and, and the focus shifts. It shifts from their experience to the word. This is pretty, now this is some pretty good stuff here, right? You're gonna have to really fasten your seatbelt and get ready, all right? Um, And in this particular section, Peter focuses on the word for several reasons. But I want us to read what it says. Now notice verse 19. And Peter says, and so we have the prophetic word more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns, and that's a phrase concerning the second coming of Christ, and the morning star arises in your hearts, which morning star is a reference to Christ. So he says, so we have the prophetic word more sure. Well, there's a couple of things that we need to know about what Peter is uh, saying here. We need to know, all right, for our own purposes. We need to know, first of all, that he is talking in terms of Scripture being over experience or scripture trumping experience now i need to explain that to you notice in the verse the first part of the verse he says and we have the prophetic word more sure well the word order there could indicate that the eyewitness account of christ's glory or his majesty at the transfiguration confirmed scripture right and that's one that's one viewpoint. It could be that. Or it could be that the word order in the Greek makes it different. Which I believe the word order in the Greek makes it different. That the emphasis is not on Peter's experience, but that the emphasis is on the word. Now I want you to think about the context of what Peter is, is doing and what Peter is writing. Remember, he's writing to these believers who are being attacked specifically concerning the second coming of Christ. Well, let me ask you a question. What was their Bible? Old Testament. The Old Testament talk about the coming, the second coming of Christ? Absolutely. So what's Peter doing? He's saying to them, we have the more sure prophetic word. We have what was written by the prophets in the Old Testament concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the word order, the way it reads in the original is not we have the prophetic word more sure, but it reads this way. And we have more sure the prophetic word. The word order actually ranks scripture over experience. Now that term more sure has this meaning. You need to know this, all right? The word more sure is the idea of something that is fixed, something that is certain, something that is reliable, something that can be trusted. So as I'm reading that and I'm studying that and I'm looking at that definition, I'm going, all right, something that is fixed, something that is certain, something that is reliable, something that can be trusted. Oh, we're talking about the home. 
When you think about the home, the home should be a place where things are what? Fixed, where things are certain, right? Where there is trust, where there is reliability. I'm like, wow, that's a really good analogy. Here he's talking about the scriptures, right? We have the more sure prophetic word. We have the scriptures. I like what Henry Morris says about this. While Peter was certain of what he saw, he was certain of what he saw. I mean, he is not saying, hey, this didn't take place because he shares the experience with him. But what he's saying is we have the more sure prophetic word. While Peter was certain of what he saw, he stressed that God's written word was more sure than any personal experience. Let's stop for a second. Guys, do you know how important that is today? People say, man, I had a vision. I had a dream. I told you about a dream at the beginning of this message, didn't I? Well, that dream was a bunch of baloney. I didn't have a dream that saving, I mean, that's not going to happen. All right? But there are people that walk around and they say, hey, listen, the Lord gave me a word. And I go, really? What did he give you? Because, listen, it's hard to refute experience. Is it not? People say, well, it happened to me. May not happen to you, but it happened to me. May not happen to you, it happened to me. But what do we have to do with people who say, hey, I had a word or I had a vision or I heard this or I heard that? You got to confirm it with what? The book. You know what you're going to find? That a lot of those visions and a lot of those dreams are baloney. And you're going to find that people are speaking outside their mind and they're not even connecting it to the book at all. So what does that do to you? That puts you in a position, ah, listen to this. That puts you in a position because you're on the team to do what? Defend the truth. You say, hey, Thad, I didn't want to be a part of this, man. I like sitting on the bench. Sorry. That's your job. Really? Mine alone? And guys, we are living in times where people are taking God's word and they're twisting it. And listen to me, they are twisting it to the point where they want everybody to come back the next week. And so how can I make this sound just good enough to where those that attend that know the truth are still on board with me but I don't want to offend anyone. I got some news for you. The word offends. And it offends a lot. Because the Lord has demands on his people. <laughs> it's just the truth. Right? So you look at this and you go, wow, this is a big deal. Because Peter is stressing the written word of God. Now, it's interesting what he says about the written word of God here in this verse. Notice what it says, verse 19. And so we have more sure the prophetic word. Now, look at this next phrase. To which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. So, this is what I say. Not only does Scripture trump experience... But Scripture gives direction. 
gives direction. You know, it's that whole analogy of, you know, when was the last time you used your Bible? You know, is there so much dust on it that you had to really dust it? Right? Um, Because how else are we going to get direction for life? How How we do that? We do it through the written word. Well, the term pay attention there means to have in close proximity, to keep close at hand, to keep before your mind. I mean, what better thing to do than to keep the scriptures before my mind every day? Hey, guys, look, and I'm, you say, that you don't live in the real world. I do. Man, I understand you have families, you have jobs, you have kids, you have grandkids. There is so much that is battling for your time. But I can look out there and I can tell. You ate the last couple of days, didn't you? How many of you ate on Thanksgiving Day? How many of you ate a lot on Thanksgiving Day? How many of you know that this is not the time of the year to be going on a diet? Man, listen... You know, one of the greatest battles I have in my life is eating. I love to eat. And I really love, Thanksgiving Day is it's the best and the worst all in one day. Because I really love dressing. And I just want to camp out in it. <laughs> right? Right? I mean, have you ever, listen, you want to know what to do with your Thanksgiving leftovers. There are actually websites that actually tell you what to do. Right? But don't throw away the dressing. Call me before you do, please. Because, dre- listen, dressing, it just goes a long way. That stuff is so good. And, and I, wa- I, I do, I want to camp in it. And that's not necessarily the time, I'm, right? This happens to you too. You're walking through the line, you're going through the line, your family, you're right, and you're looking at the dressing. I did the other day, I did the other day. I looked, I thought there's one pan of dressing. And there are a whole lot of people. Get out of my way. Man, guys, just think, if we were that excited about getting in the book, we couldn't wait to eat it. Well, the term is an interesting term. It's a nautical term, meaning to hold a ship in a direction to sail towards. What do you think about when you think about that? Think about a lighthouse, don't you? Well, a lighthouse serves two purposes navigation and warning navigation and warning and I think about the word of God navigation and warning navigation and warning how in the world am I ever going to know what direction to go to if I'm not in the book how do I know where there are warnings that that I need to really pay attention to Um, when I was uh, living in New York, we would say, I would save my vacation for Christmas. Only got two weeks. And so I would save my, my vacation for Christmas time. And we would drive to Alabama and then we'd drive to Little Rock, Arkansas. Well, to, from Little Rock, Arkansas to Green, New York takes 24 hours. Are you listening to me? 24 hours. Well, when I was young and spry, I could drive that baby in 24 hours. And I only was up there five years. But boy, as I got to be about 30, that 24 hours looked a lot longer. 
One time we're on a trip back and we get outside of Cleveland, Ohio. Any of you familiar with Cleveland, Ohio? They have a thing in Cleveland, Ohio called Lake Effect Snow. And I mean snow. We know in the south what it is when there's a downpour, right? I mean, it's pouring down so hard you can't see in front of you. Well, we were on our way back to Green, and, and I'm driving, and about to hit Highway 17 that goes all the way across New York State, and I'm just south of Buffalo, and there's this, which they have lake effect snow too, just this humongous, I mean, th- it is pouring snow. Now, I know that's hard for you to envision, especially if you've only been in the South. But I promise you, just as much as it pours rain, it pours snow. And it was snowing so hard that all I could see in front of me were taillights, barely. But you know what those taillights did? As I'm driving on Highway 17, making my way back home to Green, New York, those taillights served as my direction the bad part about that what if the dude would have went off in the ditch (laughs) but it served as my guide I was not going to be able to navigate without seeing those taillights in front of me hey guys we can't navigate through life without the book and that's exactly what Peter's saying That's exactly what Peter's saying. Scripture gives direction. Then he uses this comparison here. He says, notice verse 19. So we have more sure the prophetic word to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Now the word lamp here refers to a portable lamp fed with oil. Right? And it was typically in a home put on a, on a stand. And that light was intended to do what? Illumine the room. Right? Give light to the room. Well, Peter says here that we have the prophetic word more sure to which we do well to pay attention. And he compares it as to a lamp shining in a dark place. A dark place. Think with me about a dark place. Let's see if we can come up with our dark place. Where is a dark place around here? Huh? Closet. There are dark places, right? Caves. Caves are dark. Huh? Crystal caverns, dark. Where's crystal cavern? I thought you were going to say Auburn. All right, so you have caves that are dark. You have rooms that are dark. But do you know what Peter's referring to here? As to a dark place. This world, my friends, is a dark place. You know what the gospel writer of John says? Man prefers darkness rather than what? Light. So... Peter says, you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place because a lamp does what it gives light. You're able to see. Guys, that's what the Bible does. And for those believers, 
He's saying to them, listen, you have that word that is your lamp in a dark place. And guys, we have the word that is a lamp in a dark place because we live in the midst of darkness. And to think about this, that, that as Jesus is talking in the Gospels, that we're light. We're light. Set on a hill. Why? So people can see. You're like, what? Man, have you ever thought about that? You and I are lights. There'll be a day, though, where there will be no night. Now, I can't imagine that. Neither can you. But Revelation 22, 5 says this. And there shall no longer be night, and they shall not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun. Why? Because the Lord God shall illumine them. He's going to be the light. We won't need any other light. I remember in Belize, Central America, went on a mission trip and this is our first one back in 1992. And so we go out to King's College. Now, it's way out. And transportation's not like, hey, let's take a limousine to King's College. Not available. Okay, it's a school bus and you're traveling for a long time to get to this place. And King's College is in the middle of nowhere. And one of the things that you really appreciate when you're out in the middle of nowhere is light. When it's cloudy, right, that's a problem. When it's clear, man, you can see. But there were a couple of nights where it was really dark. And I mean, listen, that, they only kept the, the electricity going till about 10 at night. So from 10 at night till 6 or 7 in the morning, whenever that was, that there was light, the sun come up, it was pitch black. And we had these little flashlights. And it's inevitable. Anytime I'm camping or off somewhere, I always have to get up in the middle of the night. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I pray, Lord, please help me sleep all night. I just don't want to get up. Well, there, there are many challenges. And one of them, believe it or not, is getting up and having enough light to navigate to where you need to go. Hey, guys, we have this book, and it's always in front of us, and we can always carry it around. And you say, well, hey, Thad, but do I always have to carry it? You know, you know what? We have that light in us, don't we? That's why we tell these kids, hey, you need to memorize the scriptures. Because what are the scriptures going to do? They're going to bring forth the truth about the light who is Jesus Christ. Well, what do we do? In the meantime, before this scene, what do we do? Well, I want to leave you with this this morning. This is what we do. Psalm 119, 105. The psalmist says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Every single, listen, and this is the picture. Every single step that I take, every step I take is critically important and I need God's word to guide me through this dark world 
So you look at this and you go in the context of, of 2 Peter, wow, he is really writing some encouraging things for these believers. He's telling them, hey, look, there's no need to worry. There's no need to struggle. You have and I have the word, more sure. We know the rest of the story. We know that Jesus Christ is coming again. And he ends that section and he says, how long, right? How long do I have to pay attention until the day dawns, until Christ comes back? And that's a picture of his second coming. And the morning star rises in your hearts. And you're like, morning star, what in the world is that all about? I want you to turn to Revelation 22 and we'll close there. Revelation 22 tells us who this morning star is. Revelation 22, verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. And notice how he identifies himself. I am the root and the offspring of David, the what? The bright morning star. Guys, if you're in Christ today, you're a part of the team. Do you know that when guys are sitting on the sidelines, whether it's in football or, or on the sidelines in basketball or in the dugout in, in, in baseball, it's very difficult to stay engaged in the game. That's one of the challenges. But can I, can I just encourage you with this thought that we are to remain alert in the Christian life? Because there are dangers out there. There are people out there who are attacking the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be, as Peter writes in 1 Peter, we need to be sober. We need to be alert. We need to be aware of the impending danger. I hope you're not sleepwalking. I hope you understand that not only if you're in Christ, you're a part of the team, but you have the responsibility, and I have the responsibility, to defend the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, there was a professor that had a class that would meet three times a week. And every single class, he would open his coat pocket up and he would put this tennis ball on the corner of his desk. And at the end of class, he would take that tennis ball and he'd put it back in his coat pocket and he'd walk out of class. Until one day, there was a student that was snoozing in the back of the class. And so he took that tennis ball and he threw that tennis ball and hit that student in the top of the head. And guess what? He woke up. Well, the students began to wonder what was going to happen because he didn't go back and he didn't pick up the tennis ball. So the next day he walks in class and he gets to his lectern and out of his coat pocket, he reaches, and there's a baseball. <laughs> and he puts it on the corner of that lectern. Needless to say, there were no more sleeping students. You know, guys, we can't afford to sleep. 
We need to be aware. We need to be alert. Because as Peter wrote, our adversary, is the devil, is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Don't let Satan rob you of the joy of knowing that Jesus Christ, our Lord, is coming for us one day. And is coming back in glory to rule and to reign with his people for a thousand years. Let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you so much for your word. And Wow, this is a loaded section of scripture. Peter's defending the truth and defending your coming. And he relates his experience and what he saw and what he heard. And then he gets down to the book. And he says, hey, we have the more sure prophetic word. And he takes the opportunity to tell him, just like was told him on that mountain. The father said, listen to him. And in essence, he repeats that to these believers. He says, pay attention. Pay attention. Keep it close to you. He had the incarnate word close to him. We have your written word. And Lord, I pray that we would keep your word close to us every day. So that as we're navigating through the dark world that we live in, not only may we look to the light, but may we be the light in the midst of a dark and lonely road for so many people who are living with no hope. They believe that, hey, this is it. This is the best it gets, and that's how they live. But we know, hey, the best, the best, Lord, is yet to come when we see you face to face in all of your glory. Help us not only to be in the game, but help us to know, Lord, that we have a responsibility to defend as we're in the game. As we walk about each day, help us, help us, Lord, to use your word as our guide through this life for your honor and for your glory. In the name of Christ, amen.